The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. What's up, Mile High, and welcome back to Sharing Our Stories. My name is Slim with Nani Al-Jalil, Tomas Hernandez, and our guest, Dustin Chavez from Fort Lupton. And if this is your first time with us, I sure hope it's not your first time, but man, this program is all about addiction and recovery. We bring people in here to talk about their struggles with drug and or alcohol addiction and to let you know that we recover. Everybody in this room, everybody that you hear or see uh, has had to struggle with addiction and we are all in some state of our recovery whether it's many years a few years we're all there and we want you to know that if you're suffering you can find your recovery too so thanks for tuning in with us and welcome to the program uh it's nice to have tomas back from vegas yes sir Just, uh, a two-state two superman now man man it's, i wouldn't know about superman but i'm in two states <laughs> two <laughs> <You know? laughs> we gotta um take a moment here for nani Nani, who every week is on our program, she's here, she sits here, and people that watch the program and some that listen that know she's here go, does Nani ever talk? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, never. Does Nani speak? No. Does Nani have something, does no. Nani have something to participate in the conversation? No. And Nani, we love you. And like I know. Stephen Wright, the guy on the couch. Yeah, she's just here. Yeah, he's just, she's every, just here. He just has that one liner in the show. He just <laughs> gets up off the couch and says... I Bam, know that's it. She's here for, for, for a quota, everybody. We have to have a woman. Don't you know? <laughs> I know. Just matching a quota. <laughs> that's not true. It's not. At all. No. It's really not true. She actually started as a guest. Mm-hmm. So she's here not only because she was an amazing guest, but she became somebody who has been vital to helping this program continue and getting yeah. all of our guests on here. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. Things have been things have been busy with Tribe. There's a lot of things going on that I'm really excited about. So up in Boulder, we've been doing a lot of work in Boulder, which has been very exciting. Um, and in Denver, we have things coming up for the holidays, which we're excited about. What do we got going for the holidays? Holidays, we always do a, a turkey drive. So we don't just give out turkeys. We make we up it every year. So now we're at a thousand meals. Uh-huh. We go out and we go find our people in the, in the park. Yeah. And this year we're going to do a bigger, like our, our guest today with, with Nani, they're like a one-two punch now. So I'm, I'm excited to hear a story to, to put a whole lot more on it. I got my business development team at this table here, which uh, the second and none. And we're going to have music, a lot of different uh, organizations out there. It just gets bigger and bigger. I mean, it started just, you know, because uh, it was just a male program at the beginning. We had the staff house. I remember we that. Just, yeah, we just had a million barbecuers in the back. And we just went and got a whole bunch of a whole bunch of food and just started putting in styrofoams and then just showing up and walking around downtown. You know, and it'd be like five of us and then we'd do like two hundred meals and then it went to three hundred, four hundred, five of them now. Who cooks hit. all this food? It's all of us, the participants, the the staff, all of us just put it together and you, just, Dustin, not Nani's gonna cook. 
Uh, I don't know. She's probably right. Nadia is not cooking turkeys She's and ham. Not, not doing it. A lot of the time now we got Maurice and stuff. He's gonna be yeah. good, and we got we got a hobby. Whoa. But uh, yeah, a lot of the time it was me and Dan that cooked the turkeys. That's awesome. That's, that's our thing. We just with hobbies help this last couple of years. Just we just go out on Thanksgiving. Yeah, we well we go out a, a week before Thanksgiving. Okay. And we get up that that morning before, so we stay up all night. And cook everything, and then we, we sleep in ships, make sure everything's set up, and then get it over to the, the center now and uh, plate it, make sure it's, it's wrapped good, and then we just go out there. Like last year, it, it, it's, we still got the effect, but it sucked because of COVID, um, and then they were doing a lot of uh, the tent sweeps. Mm-hmm. So they were just moving encampments all over the place. So it was really hard to, like, get on a corner without, you know, the police tripping. So we really had to – like get up on our phones like there are walkie-talkies and get into teams, and then we're over here, and then just do group texts, then we're over here. So, But we got it done. This year, we're going to be a whole lot more organized. We're going to be at City Park. Yeah, no, we're, we're going to be, be across at, the street from the track center at the park. Oh, okay. So then we're going to be oh, so we're going to be at uh, La Alma Park. Yep. Mm-hmm. La Alma Park with the location for just everybody yeah. in the city that can stop yeah, by. You, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be right in of our own housed. Exactly. So um, we'll figure out how that that works and get them over there. Yeah. Y'all gonna have to tell me how we're gonna get all the homeless over there. But all right, we're gonna be at La, La Alma Park. Yeah. So um, if you are homeless with a radio right now. <laughs> Probably not, not coming. <laughs> then you know we had a llama park. You know what I mean? And um, or be on the lookout. Be on the lookout these next two couple of weeks for our beautiful faces because we'll be handing out flyers all over. That'll be great. Oh, you know, I love a man who says, "My beautiful face, our beautiful faces." Yeah. yeah. Come on, my man. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's that's wonderful. That's, our beautiful that's faces. My, let's get right to this uh, with Mr. Our Beautiful Faces here. Our guest this week for sharing our stories uh, is an employee of Tribe Recovery Homes. Um, but you know, one of the things, we bring in a lot of people that work for Tribe Recovery Homes and I don't want people to think, oh, you guys are just trying to promote Tribe. We want to promote all um, recovery homes in the Mile High. Yeah. We work with everybody. So it's not yeah. about, uh, oh, you're promoting Tribe. We're just bringing in individuals who have a story to tell that are ready to tell it and want to tell it. If you're one of those folks, you can come in here and do that too. Yeah, right? so. Uh-huh. And people that work for Tribe are normally somebody who Tomas is like, man, this is my guy. This is my girl. <laughs> yeah, you know, the culture is taking off. So you know, with the, with the staff just brings everybody in. We, what's great about bringing like-minded individuals is is, is we share a lot of uh, the same values. So when somebody sets in, you just know they, they sit in that fold. But I like, like when you're talking about a lot of the different sober living and treatment companies out there, like I like to give a shout out to Hazelbrook with Gino and everybody out there, you know, uh, share with Aurora Sober Living, many, many more that's out there that are car certified and that's Colorado Agency of Recovery Residences. They're going to have their big thing in the next couple of days. Um, and it's a, uh, if it wasn't for recovery homes, for people like us sitting at the table, I don't think we'd be sitting at the table. You know what I mean? There's just some type of halfway house recovery home situation. So that boots on the ground um, situation is, is is second to none. And, and um, if you see anything over the holidays for, for those individuals, please, please, please reach out to them, help them um, donate, you know, because Hazelbrook will be doing their own thing. Aurora Sober Living will be doing their own Oxford thing. House. Oxford House, Monarch. Uh, uh, there's the list goes on and on and on. There's so and many. If you're like we have never meant you've never mentioned ours. Shoot us an email. <clears throat> shoot us a text. Yeah. Get to us, and I'll make sure we mention yours too. Yeah. So if you have an event, it would be great if you can get a hold of Nani 
throw your event out and right before uh, Thanksgiving, if if you guys are cool with it, we're going to announce some of those those locations for yeah. the, for those giveaways. So Absolutely. if you're a sober living or, or a, a treatment provider that's going to do some nonprofit work out there like Stout Street and different other places, let's throw that out there for you. Just make sure that you get it to Nani so we can get that that information out so people can eat. You Nani, know what I mean? It's the holidays. We want people to reach you. Yeah, you can reach me at Nani, N-O-H-N-I-E, at triberecoveryhomes.com. Thank God I didn't have to spell that. Right. Yep. N-O-H-N-I-E. Oh, my bad. No, you're good. Also, you can reach me. Um, I'm a co-worker uh, at Dustin at triberecoveryhomes.com. Yep. Mm-hmm. Let's get Dustin going here. Yep. Dustin, no. this is your show. This is your program um, to share with everybody. Um, one more, one more. And Larry Martinez is out there, DICP, Denver Inner City Parish. Yes, yeah. yes. That's one of my biggest uh, mentors that I ever had when I first started in, 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 in uh, the nonprofit world. Uh, Denver Inner City Parish will be right there. They're, they're our neighbors. So look out for that stuff. Larry, make sure you get us the information so we could go ahead and, and promote everything you're doing for the holidays. And come too. on Welcome in, Larry, home. if you want to come in I haven't in seen talk. you in a long time. Much love and respect, brother. Come in and talk, Larry. Yeah, we got to get Larry on. Man, he's amazing. You got to even just, we got to get his daughter on the, on the. Come on, uh, come on. And his daughter, come like, on. raises food for, like, a whole different country, like, in Belize. Oh, like, wow. puts her own money to it, buys the food, does everything, brings it out there, flies it out she there. She does, does it. Yeah, she's a kid. Okay, we need you. Yeah, they come together. She's dope, man. She's dope. You yeah. come as a team. All right, yeah. uh, let's get to it. So let's, let's waste no more of Dustin's time, because this is Dustin's time to share with you guys, Mile High. So our guest today for sharing our stories is Dustin Chavez from Fort Fort Lupton, Colorado. What's up, everybody? How you doing? Good, man. Welcome, welcome. All right, so let's see where to start. Uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and start to back when I was a kid. Um, I definitely had a lot of issues growing up. I had a lot of family issues. I had a rough relationship with my father. I also um, struggled in school. I was ADHD and uh, thought I needed to be medicated, but I never got medicated. Um, I was I excelled well in sports, and that was kind of like where a lot of my issues I think stem from because my dad was a really good he was a really good boxer he was a really good wrestler and he pushed me a little too hard when I was a kid and I always thought kind of felt like I wasn't good enough right so at that point I started searching I started looking around for like the sense of family right and unfortunately in my small town like the, there was only two groups right there was the white people and there was the mexican people and unfortunately the minorities were always involved in gangs or just you know drug activity and whatnot and half of my family was involved in that so i started picking up and started hanging out with my cousins and i kind of got really attracted to the drug life and mainly the money part of it at first um you know, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money. You know, my dad got a good job later on down the road, and we didn't struggle too bad. But when I was younger, you know, going to school with all the secondhand clothes and seeing everybody that was there with all the good clothes, that's kind of how that started. So I ended up starting to sell Coke. And when I was younger, like, that, w- that was the thing. I was, like, 13 years old, and I started diving into that. And, you know, we always had a rule. Like, my, well, I called it my family, but it was, you know, you can sell it, but you can't do it, right? Mm-hmm. So that was the taboo part. And so um, I kind of stuck, I kept to that code for a little while until I just started getting really curious and I just started having my relationship with my family wasn't as great as I thought it could be. And like I said, I was searching for that sense of family, but there was always something missing. So whenever I'd like feel really, like whenever I'd get really down, I remember it was a breakup, a girlfriend, and relationships are horrible, I swear, because they could drive you to some dumb. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, <laughs> so <laughs> but, I mean, even as a kid, because like when you're 13, like you know, everything's the end of the world, right? Yeah, the worst, man. <laughs> everything's it's the like end of the world. The world's dead at like 13, right? Like I can't see my girl. Oh my god! <laughs> 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 Yeah, uh, so <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway, I'm gonna die. Right, to make a long like uh, to make that long story short. Um, the best is when your parents laugh at you too about it. Oh right, right. they're just looking at yeah, you like, you oh got my Hispanic god. Dad, he's like, come on, <laughs> yeah, guy. what's the matter? We all like, what's wrong with you? You don't even have. <laughs> <laughs> she can't even cook yet. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so. Um, uh, I believe it was a breakup, and I remember going over to my one of my good friends. He was my best friend when I was younger. I'm not going to throw any names out there, but I used to sell Coke to his dad, and that was one of our things, right? And he would buy, like, an eight ball from me, like, every three days. And I remember I was, I was going through it that day, and I came back. I went to his house to go sell it to him, and I told him, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and give you this for free. I was like, but you got to let me do this with you, right? I didn't know how he did it. He ended up being the type of guy that... I like to rock it up and smoke it, so we would smoke crack, right? And so that's what, that was my first introduction to drugs right there, was smoking crack at the age of 13. 13. And, oh, and, like, I took off. I was to the moon, and that was crazy, and that was one of the, like, I mean, let's just be real, so, right? What does that mean? Like, you went to still in car stereos right the next day? No, that, that came later. <laughs> that came later. Way later, but <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. Selling a VCR for a, yeah, we'll for get a to crack that. rock, like, Yo. yeah. Take it. No, you know what, though? Like, yeah. just to jump ahead a little bit, I did take mom and dad's TV and their air conditioner and then pawned it off and then went and got some and then tried to find some of us and they locked me out the door. So it didn't work. You tried to get the TV back. Okay, we move on. No, you know what? No, no. We'll, we'll talk about it real quick. So yeah. I did. At that point, I did try to get the TV back until I saw something else to take. <laughs> Go get some more crack. That's how that one went. <laughs> That's just real talk. Okay, yeah, thirteen years old. Yeah, so thirteen years old, I got introduced to crack and I started smoking it. And it it was a it was a recreational thing at that time, right? Like I didn't get addicted right away, but it was a good feeling. And then after that, like that whole you know sell it but don't do it rule became uh, non-existent, right? Like it was, I would sell some during the week and I would get a whole bunch, like an ounce together, two ounces, and then I would show up to the party. And then I started to realize that being that dude was loved right by the people that wanted to do drugs so i was that guy at the parties mm -hmm. i was that guy like hey well, let's go talk to dustin he's got the right so um yeah that's kind of how that started and i remember doing coke for a long time and you just all the way through high school i started messing up i stopped doing sports really well i mean i did really good in sports too like i went to state for diving and swimming and diving I could have gone to state for wrestling, but I quit wrestling because my dad was Diving. pushing. Diving. Yeah. That was the last thing I would ever, <laughs> last <laughs> guess. Yeah. You got so many jokes. <laughs> but we'll wait until we go to work. Yeah, let's get <laughs> So, um, like, the teachers and everybody started to notice that a lot of I things were going on. What's up, Speedos? Dude, I did wear the Speedos. You wear the we Speedos? We called them grape smugglers, bro. What was the, yeah, we what was the, the what? Grape what was like grape smugglers. What was yeah. like the, the, the Mexican version, the second down, what did they call, did they like leave out a, a speed? Just chonies, like, bro. Speed? Just straight chonies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the O's. <laughs> right? Take out the O. Right, speed. Something. Yep, yeah. That's what, that's what Slim wore when he, yeah. when he took the plank. <laughs> in, my canoe, in my canoe as I canoed here from Puerto Rico hey bro you're aerodynamic you got like, your quicker right? bro you're from Puerto Rico you're gonna take the plane you have an idea I would jump out of the water and I would push the canoe and kick my feet alright back to the story <laughs> you should have joined the swim team <laughs> he's my brother, dope, my brother man he's a dope the somersaults <laughs> right uh, okay no so um 
you know, I started doing coke, and um, I actually found a relationship. And to be honest, um, that was a that was my first relationship. It was like my first love. And I moved out of my parents' house pretty much like at 16, 16 and a half. And I moved in with her family. And um, we, she ended up getting pregnant when she was a junior in high school, and I, had our, I was graduating. And I was 19 when I graduated. And at this time, I mean, I was going hard, but I wasn't really going that hard. It was still just kind of like a recreational thing. And then I ended up walking in on my uh, baby's mom and her new boyfriend having sex when I came home from work, right? Mm -hmm. And after that, I, I broke up with her. I couldn't do it, you know, even though we had it like she was pregnant and we had our daughter and her name is Araya and I got permission to say her name. I got a good story about that yeah. right now. But yeah. so um, we, um, we ended up fighting. I ended up taking her to court, trying to get my custody rights because I wouldn't be back with her. And in my perception, I felt like she was using my daughter against me because I know that I hurt her, right? Anyway, um, I, that was her way of getting back at me, and it really did work because after I lost my daughter, like, I literally, and, you know, just being high and using that as an escape, I could never really just fully capture, like, my possibilities or, like, my abilities as a father at that time. And so it was a lot easier for me to give up than it was to keep fighting, right, mm -hmm. because I had that substance that could just take me away. And so I started using heavily because I lost my sh I lost my mind, you know. I lost my mind when I lost my daughter, and I didn't know how to get it back. And then, you know, fast forward a couple years. Kind of like didn't care anymore. I just didn't care, yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, that was my world right there. I had my daughter's name picked out since, since I was 13. Wow. <laughs> you know, I always knew I was going to have a girl first, too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and, you know, so anyway, fast forward a couple years. Like, I'm at my sister's house, and... You know, this was a rare thing because because of my drug use, my family didn't like having me around, but I would still show up because I still wanted that sense of family, right? I ended up falling off my sister's balcony, me and my brothers, and I landed on cinder block, and I remember that day very vividly because it hurt so bad, and it was probably like one of the only few times that I'd ever drank. I'm not an alcoholic, but I'll do every other drug in the book. <laughs> um, anyway, so when I hurt my back, I went to the hospital, and the doctor there, you know, I had a couple herniated discs and because I drank, I was, a, I, I was lucky I didn't break my back, right? But now the doctor there had given me a prescription and that was, you know, I literally found a new love. You know, like it wasn't at first, but as I started taking the pills, like, okay, like now I feel better, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. And just because of that little euphoric feeling that I would get, which was totally opposite from the upper, it was a downer. Like, it took a little bit to transition, so it was it was weird because, like, I had a prescription in my hand, and it was widely accepted because it was from a doctor, mm -hmm. right? And so now I totally forgot about Coke, and I wasn't doing Coke, so now everybody in my family was like, oh, he's doing so much better, he's doing so good, and when really I just replaced one addiction yeah, with the other. Yeah. That's, that's a crazy uh, thing that we deal with in, in, this, in this field is, like, everybody just says because it's legal, it's yeah. okay. And we're like, man, it don't matter if it's legal. Yeah. It's messing you up. Right. Like this, the law enforcement has nothing to do with it. And it's funny that we're saying that because we're tribe members. Right. The law enforcement has everything to do with it. it. <laughs> <In our> organization. <laughs> you know what I mean? But as far as the addiction part of it is, is, is that's a real thing, man. It's hard to interrupt. But yeah, you know, we get, we get that mass confusion of, damn, it's legal. I'm cool. Right. You know, that Budweiser's all right. I got this pill. This doctor wrote the script. How can this doctor be wrong? He's next to God. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? You can't argue with me. You're not a doctor. <laughs> right. Doctors save lives. So mm -hmm. why would they put mine in jeopardy? Right. Exactly. And I was, 
you know, and at the end of the day, just to be completely honest with you, I knew what I was getting into. You know, my brother, my little brother was struggling with pills and I, it was just never my thing. I was always an upper kind of guy. And as soon as I kind of got the feeling and it was like a constant use of it, then I became a super addicted to it. And then when I actually wanted to quit, like I remember my first withdrawal, I'll never forget my first withdrawal. Uh, I, will, I never want to feel that again. I don't wish that on my worst enemy. <laughs> I really don't. It's such yeah. a painful feeling. And, but anyway, um, so I started doing these pills, right? And at this time, like I'm doing good. You know, my family's kind of back in my life. I actually have a new relationship now and thinking about going back to get my, my daughter, my, my oldest daughter. And, but at this time I've been away for like four years. And so um, her and her new husband approached me with, uh, will you sign your rights away so that he can adopt her, right? I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it at all. And the other thing was is that her mom and I didn't get along at all. And so I had to really sit back and think about where my life was at that point and where I was going. And did I really want to like involve myself, like jump back into my daughter's life as she's getting older. She knows, she knows this man is her dad. If I were to jump in and do this. So that was a hard decision for me to make. Right. And of course, since, you know, with all hard decisions that addicts have to deal with, what do we run to, right? The thing that's going to make us feel better. So I started diving deeper into my pills and I remember it started, I used to be able to fill my prescription on time. Right. And then it got to the point where I was like calling it a, a week early. You know what I mean? And doctors are sitting there wondering why it's going on. So then I start doctor shopping and then I start going around and telling everybody I'm hurt. I'm this manipulating doctors. And before you know it, I got like three, four different prescriptions in my name for just, and I learned yeah. that you could do it for different prescriptions. Like I got Vicodin here, but I'm gonna get oxycodone over here and I'm gonna get morphine over here. And I had those prescriptions and so I'm doing them. I lose my job because I start becoming addicted, can't show up to work. And but then I start realizing that, oh shit, I can make money. I can make money off these pills, right? And so now my old addiction and now my old behaviors are starting to come up because it's like, okay, now I can feed my addiction. All I got to do is turn around and sell these things. Hmm. And so, like, it was, it was horrible because, like, I was doing so many of them that I literally had to go around and, like, find, like, older cancer patients, like, older people yeah. mm -hmm. that would rather smoke weed than do their pills, right? And for, like, and it was crappy because, like, you know, in my, in my heart, I did care about what they had to say, right. but I knew if I spent 30 minutes, an hour conversation with these older people yeah. that didn't really have anybody in their life, because clearly if they did, they wouldn't be allowing me around there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> let's be real, yeah, right? Let's, so let's no make sure everybody in the air knows doctor shopping and doing that stuff is a federal offense. It's federal offense. Yeah, it's a federal offense, not a state offense. So yeah. if you get some ideas from our shows, yeah. know you're getting federal charges for this story if right? you try it. Mm -hmm. So let's not try. Yeah, it. no. Exactly. Our, guest, our guest last week literally went to jail from doctor shopping. Yeah, mm -hmm. see, I got lucky. I got mm -hmm. lucky. I never did that. I mean, we even got to the point where we stole prescription pads, trying to write our own prescriptions. And I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that. I mean, there's a lot of things I'm not gonna sit here and like. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not gonna incriminate myself, yeah. but there's a lot of things that I could have gotten in trouble for that I never time. did. Yeah, there's one time, right? <laughs> Um, but anyway, so, and at this time, like my mind is so messed up and I'm in this new relationship. And so I decide, and I, I don't want to jump back into my daughter's life. So I decided to sign my rights away mm. so that it would give her an opportunity because I knew I was in no condition to jump back in this little girl's life. 
and be what she needed to be, right? And be able to navigate, like, dealing with the animosity between her and her mom. And I would rather have my daughter grown up knowing what she's already knowing than to know all that hatred and know all that um, just animosity. I, I don't think it, I didn't think it was going to be beneficial in any way, right? So my idea was, all right, I'm going to become the biggest thing in the world because then my daughter's going to see me and there's no way she's not going to want to know me, right? So that was my thought process. A little skewed, <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, but you know, and when you're high, you feel like you could do anything, right? I mean, you're unstoppable sometimes, and sometimes people are to a fault. <laughs> and um, anyway, so we're getting through the. We we get through that. Um, I didn't even show up to court that day. I literally um, went and got high because I couldn't handle it. I was literally just in my feelings, and I I could not even show up to court to sign my rights away. So I called my lawyer, and I gave permission for her to do it. And I didn't even show up to court that day. And I dove myself into the next relationship trying to replace just that that heartache. And at the same time, and mind you, so like all this drug use that I'm doing right now is being okayed and co-signed by the person that I'm with because she believes in doctors, she believes in prescriptions, and I just keep complaining about how much pain I'm in. So like I'm manipulating the crap out of this mm -hmm. woman, right? Mm -hmm. And so... And she's buying it, right? Like, she's literally looking at the sky and knowing it's blue, and I'm convincing it, convincing her it's purple, you know? Yeah. And it, it's horrible. And so uh, I convince her after I just lose my daughter that it's a good idea to have another kid. So let's try working on another kid, right? We have our own place. I'm making enough money doing drugs, selling drugs. That we buy a house, and we're out in Brighton East Farms, new neighborhood, new development. And so we end up having a kid and my son, and then the cat comes out of the bag, right? Because I can't maintain my high anymore. I can't maintain the money because I'm losing connects. People are dying. The people I were getting pills from, I don't have the kind of money that I had anymore, right? I don't have the drive that I used to have. And so the cat comes out of the bag and she's like, yeah, no, you got a problem. And I didn't want to admit it. And so I start going crazy. And now in my mind, I'm like, no, hell no. I'm not going to let my, I'm not going to let my son, and I'm not going to let what happened to my daughter in me happen to my son in me, right? Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because the same exact story happened. I come home from actually trying to, like, I, I wasn't trying to get clean, but I was trying to work. I was trying to be productive. I come home and run into the same issue I ran into with my first baby mom. And so after that, I lose it, right? And I don't even, like, I, I'm like, I start doing coke again. And then there's really not any good coke around, so I started doing meth because that was the only thing. You know, I didn't want to sleep. I didn't want to do anything. didn't want to go home. I didn't want to talk to anybody. All I wanted to do was just drown myself in that and just create all this anger. And at this time, like, I started getting, like, really violent with people, you know. It, it hurt because now my son, you know. And anyway, I get in trouble. I get, I get in trouble for a domestic violence charge, right, because we're arguing in the house and, um, I ended up throwing something against the wall, putting a hole in the wall, and I got arrested for that, which was kind of a blessing at that time because it put me in jail and it sobered me up a little bit, right? However, I still had my prescription, but I wasn't doing coke and I wasn't doing the meth, and so I was able to kind of kick back a little bit, and then I started realizing that I had the problem with the opiates, and so I so never... you were up and down. Always. Up and down all the time. So what does that look like for you? Like, you know what I mean? Were you, were you up most of the time and down? How, how, did that, how did that affect you? Well, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I know I'm different, though, because, like, huh. when I would do opiates, like, I would get a lot of energy out of it. Okay. Right? And so I, I could go, 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 right? And then 
um, the mat, the mat, the uppers, and everything. It was it was almost just a balance out because at some point, even though you're going up with opiates, you're going to come down and you're going to mm-hmm. start falling asleep. And when that would happen, uh, yeah, I would just do meth so that I could stay up and just keep going. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I was like a train wreck, dude, just waiting to happen, just mm-hmm. going 100 miles an hour at all times. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I started behaving like that, and then that relationship starts falling apart, right? And then uh, it was crazy because I did sober up for a little bit um, because of my my son's mom. She couldn't deal with me, and she comes from money. So, like, my whole Mexican side and just criminal, like, that whole background that we live in, that minority background, didn't fit her lifestyle, right? And I was full go into that lifestyle. So she left. She up and left me with my son at my parents' house. Like, I had nowhere to go. I wasn't paying the bills at the house, so we moved out of the house. She dropped my son off while I was staying with my parents' house because I had to move back with them because we were splitting up. Mm-hmm. And she was with that new dude. And so they took off, and they took off to Seattle. And she was there for, like, a month. And I had my son for about a month. And I had to, like, I knew it. I was like, okay, well, this is what you always wanted, Dustin, so let's get it together, right? So I was able to kind of, like, white-knuckle it for a little bit while I had my son. And then... I had a good heart and because of what was done to me, what I felt like what was done to me with my son's, with my daughter's mom, when she came back and was like, I'm sorry, let's work this out, let's figure it out. We don't have to be together, but we can share custody type thing, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. I was like, you know, it took a minute. Everybody told me not to trust it. Everybody told me don't do that, but I'm not going to be that guy that keeps any kid away from their parent. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to let him go with her, right? And that was the last time I seen my son. Man. Yeah, and so how long now, has it been? Huh? How long has it been? My son, he's sixteen, and he was five when I seen him last. So oh man! Yeah, about nine years so far, you know, and which sucked because like I felt like if I would have been able to have, keep my son in my life at least, that would have given me enough drive to not go down the path that I did, and the path gets so much more worse. So um, after that happens, I'm like, forget it, you know, I don't, I don't want to live, I don't want to be here no more. So I start going downhill bad. Like I start manipulating my family, talking about taking their air conditioner and their TV. But you took the air conditioner from dad, bro. Oh, dude, it was yeah. in, okay. the, in the summertime, yes. bro. Yeah, it was. Yeah, when it was hot, yes. window. No, no, okay, no. Actually, it wasn't in the summertime. I took it in the winter because I was like, I could get it back before the summer. Oh, she <laughs> took it out the garage, and then he's like, nobody will Then he comes in and looks for it on Conquero Way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get it back here before it's hot. Before I got it. I, it I got it. I got right. it. Well, okay. And so at this time, you know, I'm going downhill and like I'm, I kind of have nothing to live for really, right? And then I get this wild hair and I just decide, okay, I'm going to pursue something that I've always pursued. And I've always loved music. I've always loved writing. But when I was a kid, I used to like, you know those old phones that had the really long cords, uh-huh. right? So I used to, you know, in the Boys to Men, or it was a Boys to Men CD, right? Or tape. Okay. Because if you bought the single on the other side, you had the instrumental, right? Mm-hmm. So I would take that, and I would write my own lyrics to it, and I would get on the, as a little kid, I would do this. I would go. To the love songs. Right? Yes, to the love songs, right? All right. So, <laughs> and it's so funny. So <laughs> because yeah. it, was long, it was a long, it was the long cord, right? We always had this little closet that we would go into. Yeah. And the tough so, guys, by the way, the tough guys are always the lovers, okay? Oh, yeah. yeah, but you know, everybody, Slim has been in this, in this industry probably one of the longest standing besides Tony that's here you know we yeah. got world class uh, the the heart of, of, of Denver in this radio station but Slim has been around every rapper up to down in this in this metro Denver I've seen, area I've seen a lot of them. but you got it you got to admit 
all of us Chicanos like to rap over love songs for some reason, <laughs> always, bro. Like, always. With like the, everybody the wants to be Baby Bash. My, my everybody just wants to be. showing me this Brown Boy song yeah. yesterday. I was like, oh, oh this God. is real sentimental. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like a straight Sorenio just talking love songs like, what? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> The it's other one, you were girl. just selling a pounds of dope and you're a coyote. Now you're, you're a lover, man. What, what happened here, man? Right. <laughs> so there you are, yeah. rapping to your to your boys. Well, sorry, yeah. So back in the day, like that's what man, I would I want to hear it. No, no, no I don't have that, right? Come on, bro. These were done live, right? So okay. this is the funny part, right? It's like, we had a little closet that we would go into to have our what phone if we conversations. Had one Daniel, play the tape. Yes, Daniel. All right, so we would we, we, we would go into this closet, like all of me and my brothers and sister, we would all, this was our spot to go have our private conversations, yeah. right? It was so not private because it's a piece of drywall. <laughs> and it was right next to the living room, right? So I would go in there and I would sit there and sing to my girlfriends these songs that I would write and my whole family would be saying, Right? Seriously. <laughs> I think my first one was like uh, I, I think I remade the uh, on bended knee. <laughs> I don't remember exactly how it went, but it was pretty funny though. But anyway, okay, so that was that's that funny story. <laughs> you know, I let it so, go. I'm no, like, no, that's okay. All right, I'm, I'm five. So, on bended stories knee. of addiction and recovery. Oh man, but and childhood thing. love. And dreams. No, I'm gonna give him like an award at the like the Christmas awards. Like right. he's got the on bended knee award. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here we go. <laughs> to Dustin Chavez. That's right. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> mm. So anyway, like I decide just get like a wild hair because I have nothing left, right? So I decide that I want to try to start pursuing music, right? And um, I'm still, now I'm back into my pills because I still have my prescriptions. So that's the only thing that really makes me feel better. And then I start feeling like and thinking that my creativeness only comes out when I'm high, right? Mm-hmm. And might not have been a lie, but I think I could be more creative now. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. like, I was still pretty creative back then. And I remember, long, long story short, I ended up manipulating my way onto a, a, a Latino festival in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, where Baby Bash, Amanda Perez, Lighter Shade Brown Bobby, when he was alive. Rest that's in peace, awesome. rest in peace, yeah, rest in peace. That's a little Chicano town yeah. right there. And so they, I, I remember I was dating this girl, and I went out there to go see her, and... Um, to be honest with you, I went out there to go hide out because I owed some people some money, so I took off. And I, anyway, so I seen a this, show, right? <laughs> I seen the, I, I seen a, I seen a flyer. I ended up being able to manipulate my way, all based on a lie, to get on stage with the singers and everybody that I had. Long story short, I start doing music and I start doing these little shows here and there. Start thinking that I'm bigger than the world. I get in a lot of trouble. I get caught with some coke in the in the car when we come back from a show. And now, now I got a felony, right? Because back in 2000, what is it, 8, 2009, possession of a baggie was a felony. Now it's just, you know, it's nothing. They kick you out the door, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm doing, I, I get in trouble, and I'm do, trying to do probation, trying to write it out, and trying to convince them that I'm an artist, and I'm doing these shows, and I'm doing all this stuff, which really, I mean, I really wasn't too much, but, like, this was my selling point. And either way, I, it was like... I got caught up in a lifestyle. So what was your, what was your, your performing name? My, oh, it was called Who'da Thought, right? Me and my brother, we called Who'da Thought. I, I dragged my brother into this, too. So yeah. Yeah, that was the shitty thing. I did. Well, okay, so my brother's a really good dancer, right? Yeah. And me, everybody's always told us that me and my brother were not made for a little town. And we 
the, the little town that we came from. So we took that and ran with it, bro. And my brother can dance, dude. Like, I swear, if you put him on, like, that So You Think You Can Dance, I guarantee he might not have won it, but he would have been up there. They don't notice. Yeah, they would. it would have been, yeah. He, he was, was he was talented. And he could choreograph, right? So, Let's go. So we went out and found two girls, two really hot-ass girls that could dance just like him. And I could dance not as good as him, but I could, you know, I we got rhythm. And so we were like, okay. So now I'm going to write these lyrics and, you know, I'll write these lyrics for you, too, so that we don't look stupid and you're just dancing up on stage. You can rap with me while we're doing this. Right. Created a little group thing. And at that time, like 2000, what, 10, that wasn't such a bad idea, <laughs> you know. And anyway, so we start doing music and then I start thinking I'm bigger than I am. And then more drugs come into play. Right. And now I'm starting to see people shoot up and now I'm starting to see people get really ham, you know, and a lot of alcohol and just like yeah. drinking Pedialyte the next day by the case so that you could go back on stage the next day, <laughs> you know. And then but at the same time, the music industry, it wasn't all full. Like I actually had the pleasure of meeting Baby Bash and, you know, him being kind of like a, like somebody that I looked up to. And um, just being able to, like, hear him speak, and he's a very grounded person, and he's actually very... You know like, him, too, don't you? Yeah. Good guy. He's, he's very, he's very anti-drug, you know, very, yeah, pro, very, very pro-weed, yeah, he's, but yeah. very anti-drug, yeah, uh, and anti-alcohol, too, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I did not, notice that, because SPM used to come up here all the time, and we'd get yeah. loaded, and Baby Bash would be like, oh, I'm cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, take off. one of the cool things was, is in 2013, you know, the culmination of all this in 2013... Uh, I was able to convince Bash and Heavy to allow him to come down to Fort Lupton and do a show. And we had nobody on the rider, so nobody was in on it. We was just, just Fort Lupton. You know, I had Denver calling me. I had Fort Collins, everybody saying, oh, we want to get him on a show. We'll pitch him. I'm like, no, nah, dude, I got, this. <laughs> you know, I got this on lock. So we were able to get, like, uh, 1,400 people into, like, a 1,000 capacities place. Wow, yeah. And it was tight, right? Nice payday. Oh, yeah. We, charged, like, we were charging, like, 35 bucks a ticket and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm still getting high, right? And he doesn't know this because, I mean, he's busy. He's a busy guy. And then, like, it kind of all collapsed after that because setting all this up, we made a lot of money, but I spent a lot of money mm -hmm. trying to buy drugs, trying to feed my addiction that I was hiding pretty well because you don't see that many people like that. Like, when you hang out with them, you don't really hang out with them. You see them, and they do their thing, yeah, and everybody's yeah. moving around, right? And so, end up, like, it, it comes out of the bag, right? And then not only that, but we're doing a show, and then my probation officer sees me with some drugs in my hand on a picture that was posted on Facebook that I was tagged in. And so now I got them threatening to throw me in prison for that F6, <laughs> by the way. No. So, yeah, it was crazy. And now they know about all this, so basically... Like, I was exposed. So, the, like, one of the greatest things in my life ended up exposing me the worst, right? And that was hard. That was hard for me to deal with. And so I started running, and I just started diving into the drugs even worse. And then I ended up... It never, it never made you go, oh, man, these drugs are messing up my career choice, my career path. Instead, you just said, oh, well, I'm just going to do it more. Yeah, and well, and that was the thing is everything, everything that I did, drugs were my driving force at that time because I had nothing else, right? Mm -hmm. And I just, that was just the way that I did it. Like, I never really, did. I had so many opportunities, so many good jobs throughout, like, my life. And, like, opportunities that people would have killed for, you know, or they would have done, you know, just crazy things to just even have the opportunity to have that opportunity, you know. Mm -hmm. And I squandered every single one of them just because I really didn't think about it in that sense, right? Like, I was like, okay, well, this one's here, another one will come. Mm -hmm. You know, I was so good at manipulating and I was so good at, you know, just talking my way into everything but I had no follow through right I had no follow through and so I ended up meeting this other girl um 
Well, actually, before that, so during all this, when everything's going downhill, I end up. <laughs> what you doing Bye, down there, bro? Sam. Don't worry. Oh, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> That's tight. Anyway, I end up. Um, so one of one of my really good friends uh, from growing up, I met her in high school. I, as as all as I was going downhill, she ends up calling me up, and we end up going out. And one of the second times that I ever drank, I got so drunk, and I ended up getting her pregnant. We ended up deciding not to be together, but we still have a decent relationship. And she was the only relationship that allowed me to see my kid, right? And I still have a good, strong relationship. As a matter of fact, I'm going to see her on the 17th. She lives in Arizona. Her name's Ava. How you doing, Ava? <laughs> yes. And so, um, anyway, so after that happened, she, she was smart, right? So she, she told me what it was. She knew what it was. She knew what I was doing because I was pretty honest with her. And she told me, look, if you get your crap together, then I'll let you be in your daughter's life. But if you, your daughter will never know any of the bad about you unless you make it so, right? And so she did the best that she can to shelter my daughter from that, but she never kept her away from me either. She was smart enough to not let me around my daughter when I was too far gone. But that, that was hard, right? And believe it or not, that kind of drove me into addiction even more because now I had my daughter, but I, it made me start thinking about how much I missed my other two kids, right? And I was fine all the way up until I had that back in my life, right? And then it started making me miss that. So I started going downhill real quick. Anyway, I ended up meeting another girl who was my long, one of my, my longest relationship of my whole life. And I met, her at a, I met her at a show before we ended up stopped doing music, right? So now I'm looking at uh, prison, but I'm waiting to go to court to do it. I had one more show. We did that. I actually, and it was the one in Fort Lupton that we did when I had Bash there. We had, um, she, I met her, I met her before the show. She bought tickets to the show. And for some reason, like, when she, she made me want to get sober. There was something about her that made me want to not live the way I was living, right? However, I couldn't tell her. I could not come out and be open about what I was doing. And I was so good. She thought I was this good person doing music, doing all that. So I played on that. And so I lied about it. And I told her that there was nothing wrong. And anytime I needed to go get high, I would always blame it on either going to the studio or going to meet this or going to okay, talk so about Okay, so it really wasn't a hobby. If you got it going on this long, you probably had a, you know, you had a couple albums. You had a little bit of a career to it, and you kind of messed it up. You know what yeah. I mean? So would you say it was a hustle, or would you say that the drugs, you could have been a whole lot better Without the drugs. Without the drugs, you could have made it to something. Because, I mean, yeah. a guy like Baby Bash is giving you some shine. I yeah. mean, he's he's a pretty hard yeah. judge to get on that stage with. You know yeah. what I mean? So you had some talent there. So, yeah. you know, you know, I just wanted to make that clear to everybody. You know, it's, uh, it's crazy how, you know, Slim is an amazing individual that, that made it through his recovery, through hurting himself through alcohol, you know, and yeah. how much better he is now, like going from just a – personality to actually almost running this whole damn radio station with with, yeah. our, with our big boss here you know from getting in recovery it's just you know that that you. that, yeah, that, uh, really that whole awesome. that whole thing is magic you know so yeah. when you talk about that it's crazy how we have these little small talents and we think they're hobbies that could have been so great could have been so much drugs. more yeah could have been so much more and that's what everybody would always tell me too they're like why are you wasting your talent anyway fast forward because i know we're running out of time but um I like to, so anyway, that relationship goes and she tries to stick with me through it. After about a year or two, I end up having to come out and tell her, I'm like, look, I don't want to live this way no more, but this is what I've been doing. But the fact that I had lied to her for a year and a half broke her heart. She couldn't trust me anymore. And so as I'm sitting here trying to get clean, 
it's not working. I end up going to prison over that charge because I'm falling apart. I'm trying to do some boxing. I'm trying to get all these things together. And just nothing's working for me, right, because I've created such this chaos in my life that I have no avenue to go, and I'm still trying to maintain a relationship, which is impossible, right? Mm -hmm. And so fast forward, I get out of prison. We try to work it back out, and it doesn't work. And because of the fact that it doesn't work, I start using again. And I get in more trouble, right? And now I'm doing like a uh, like a eight month, you know, tour doing Jefferson County, Denver County, Well County, Adams County, trying to get all these charges dropped. And I get lucky, I get blessed, right? So I get myself into Stout Street, and as an alternative sentencing, right? And this is 2019, and I go. And now, you know, I'm going, I'm going. But because I had so many cases everywhere else, I had my governing case. It was, yeah, I had my governing case in Jefferson County, but I had a case in Well County that I had to do 16 months county for, right? So, but I get accepted to Stout Street in Jefferson County, and then I'm like, okay, so I file a motion. I manipulate my way through Well County for, to get them to go run concurrent and to do, the, do that case as long as I complete it with um, Stout Street, right? So I go to Stout Street. And it's rough, dude. Stout Street's rough, but I love you, Stout Street. I give you mad props. This is my credit yeah. to Stout Street. I love oh, you guys. Yeah. Everybody over there, it's Stout a tough Street. Program. No, it's a tough it's program. It's a tough program, but they got it together. They do, you know, and it's it's a great program. And like, yep. I'll tell you what, Stout Street saved my life. Mine too. Mm-hmm. It didn't. Stay. And mine, it didn't. You know, at the end of the day, it brought me to where I am right now. Mm-hmm. It gave me it gave me the tools that I needed to get here. They get a lot of props around yeah. here. And so mm-hmm. I'm at Stout Street and. I'm there for about three months. I get off my 90-day restriction. I start getting a little bit more. I get visits. Well, because I'm doing good and because I got myself in there, my ex decides that she wants to come visit me, right? And this is when I learned that I did everything, all of that recovery for the wrong person. Mm -hmm. I did it for my ex, right? Mm -hmm. And that was the day that made my day because now I don't have my daughter. I don't have my other daughter. I don't have my son. I have nothing. My family's pretty much given up on me because they've done everything they can to try to help me. And so I leave. I leave that day that she came to visit. And I leave with her, and I do good. I do good for about three months, right, until we're not good. When we weren't good, it took me all but four hours to get high. Mm -hmm. And you know why? Because you didn't do it for you. Well, that. You made her your higher power. Yeah, exactly. I made her my higher power. And that's the only, and it didn't work. And when I realized that, I was already too deep in, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, so now I'm shooting up. Now I'm using the needle. I got scars and everything all over my arm. And I'm going downhill, and I'm using every drug in the book. Like, at this point, it's not what do you do, it's what you got, you know? And I didn't care what it was. I was I was putting it in my body. I did not want to live. I was literally trying to die. Um, I, I got arrested. I manipulated my way out of things. Just And because COVID hit, nobody was getting arrested. Nobody was going to jail, right? You could be committing crimes out there like crazy. And because they didn't want the COVID thing being spread, if, you, if it wasn't a crime against a person, you were not going to jail. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was, right? And so that was like a free-for-all. And at this time, nobody wants me to live with them. Nobody wants me to stay with them. So I become homeless. And as I become homeless and it becomes winter in Denver, we all know it gets cold out here. Yeah, ain't easy. And so I, you know, have a couple of friends that steal cars. And so I start getting into the car thieving business, right? And I'm not proud of it. This is just my story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I start stealing cars and I get really good at it. And then because I'm super in my addiction, now I'm being seen like, oh, he can get cars. So now I'm selling cars. Now I'm doing this. And now I'm taking them places that I shouldn't be taking them. I'm not going to say any more than that. But, and then, you know, now I now I got cops watching me. Now I got people following me. Now I got feds following me. Now I, I'm in part of a big ring and whatnot, however that goes. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I got really blessed. I'm not going to really talk too much more about it. <laughs> but um, I ended up getting arrested one night. Um, my, you know, my thing was, you know, we never stopped. And that was so dangerous because the drugs and everything in my life had lead me, led me to a point where I didn't care if I was running from the cops or who I put in danger yeah. or who was around. And I didn't care. I wasn't stopping. We were all going home, right? At least that was my thought. And that was so dangerous because if it would have got so much worse, I probably could have ended up killing somebody. Or I could have put... In, injured a family or whatnot or how whatever you know any catastrophe that mm-hmm. you can think of that's where I was headed right and I ended up getting a car to go pick up one night and um, the guy stops the car and I'm yelling at him and I'm telling him dude what are you doing why are you stopping and he, he, he was just too scared to drive off and I was so thankful for that because as he did that I was able to go into jail and sober up again right because I really didn't want to be living like this I just didn't care anymore right and then once I sobered up, um, this was literally like last July, um, I get arrested. And so, you know, in my head, I'm like, nah, I don't want to do this. And they're offering me 38 years. You know, I'm looking at 38 years. And so I sit there and I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. And I'm not going to let it happen. So I call Stout Street back and I ask them if they'll accept me back again, right? And they do. By the grace of God, they accept me back. And there's a, you know, <laughs> I got to I gotta give a shout out to Carly. Um, that girl, she works in the outreach over there at Stout Street. And that girl, they that team fought for me to get there. They fought and they showed up court yeah, and they not, guaranteed. It's, it's not, not easy. easy. Yeah, it's not it's, easy to go back after you leave. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. And so they fought and they got me back in there. And I'm so thankful for it because this time I was doing it for me. Yeah, there's a there's an old saying in, in prison, the first NA meeting I went to in, in the joint, and the guy talks about I was too scared to care. Yeah, exactly. And then when you finally get caught, you're like, wait, 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 wait I care. Yeah, I care you now. Know, I care now. I care a lot. You know what I mean? When you're looking at football numbers, yeah. you, you get scared, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, like, basketball oh, numbers. Yeah. You're like, Oh, uh, anyway, so yeah. I'm looking at that time, right? And but now I got like 15 charges, 15 different charges, and eight of them are aggravated motor vehicle theft. And because of how many that I had gotten previous to that, like I didn't care. Like a COVID, I was getting in trouble, but they, that still wasn't a crime against a person. Aggravated, unless you were to actually like jack somebody for their mm-hmm. car, that would be a crime against a person, right? So they were letting us out. We were out. We were running amok, and it was almost like we were unstoppable, right? Mm-hmm. And like I said, to a fault. And so I end up getting into Stout Street. I had to manipulate the judge because my nobody was going to bond me out. Nobody could afford these bonds. Every single bond that I had was like $50,000 and up, right? Mm-hmm. And realistically, there's nobody in my family or anybody that could even cover that with equity or, or anything. probably trust you. Not even that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that would be the biggest thing. And so I'm sitting there trying to figure out how to get into Stout Street, how to do this. And I didn't want to sit in jail because now it's blues. It wasn't heroin anymore. It was it was the fentanyl. And fentanyl was... playing with your life. Yeah, dude. And fentanyl was running rampant. It probably still is, but it, I was yeah. in Adams County and fentanyl was running rampant in there. So my selling point was I went in front of the judge and I said, absolutely not. I was like, there's six people that overdosed in my pot and I'm an opiate addict and you got, you cannot control the flow of the drugs that are coming through here and I would be safer in a treatment facility right now. And I got accepted to Stout Street. So I don't know what we have to do, but we're going to figure this out today. And they went and they deliberated or whatever they call that. And they came back and the judge granted me because Carly and them had fought so hard for me to get there, granted me PR bonds on every single one of my cases upon 
like I had to go like with the condition that I would be released to Stout Street. So they would have to come pick me up and I would have to be there. And now I'm like heavy stipulated, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm also not even sentenced yet. So I'm in Stout Street and this is something that Stout Street doesn't do, right? Like you're supposed to be sentenced and ready to go before they even accept you. I don't know how this all worked out, but we worked it out, right? And so I'm in- Well, we do that. Yeah, well, we, yeah, Tribe does that. We got you. We're going to help you. We yeah. Come on through. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, so I go to Stout Street, and this time I'm there for myself, and I'm doing great. And I'm doing so good that when court time comes around, uh, January, I mean, June 14th, my sentence date. And uh, it, took, it took them two and a half hours to decide what they were going to do to me because the DA wanted to throw the book at me. He literally wanted me gone. He did not want to give me anything. And... To be quite honest, like I think we got lucky because they kept it in district court instead of kicking mm -hmm. it up to felony court, and I got super lucky, right? Because we had a, a judge with a heart, okay? Mm -hmm. And so he saw what I was doing in Stout Street. I was, you know, being of service. I was helping people, helping get people into Stout Street, which is funny because I was doing outreach for Stout Street, and now I'm doing it for <laughs> Tribe. Yeah. But um, that's how that started, right? So I started giving back, and it was very rewarding for me. And I started learning the ins and the outs of, like, nonprofit and how to help people and how to do these kind of things, and I got really into it. And then I end, Stout Street ends up not working out for me. I'm not going to say anything because I'm not trying to speak bad on Stout Street, right? No, you already said oh, me too. I'm going to split you too, but it saved our lives. Yeah, it saved yeah. our lives. You so, know, and I learned Out Street the same way. Yeah, so <laughs> Stout, I love the hell out of well, Stout Street. So I ended up, ha I was made to leave Stout Street, right? I was told I could go back in a certain amount of time. And it, so my thought was, I don't know where to go. You know, I, I have nowhere to go. I'm in the middle of Commerce City. My home is 20, 30 miles away. I have nowhere to go. And so... I go to my brother's house, I swallow my pride, go to my brother's house back in Fort Lupton in a town I really don't want to be in because it's running rampant with drugs, right? I knock on his door, he lets me stay with him. The next day, I call Tomas's business, right? I call Tribe, and instead of waiting 60 days to go back to a program, I call and get myself into another treatment program because I, at this point, my mind is right. I'm doing really good. I'm, I feel good about where I'm at, and I feel strong enough that I can yeah. move into this program. So I get into this program, and like, I don't want to say I'm breezing through it, but like I'm helping people from day one, the minute I get in there, I'm on stabilization. I already came in with a job because before I was on a week and a half waiting list, I end up getting, um, I end up having a job before I even go to tribe. And the boss that I actually work with or worked with is from Elo Roofing. I'm gonna give a shout out to Boomer. Joseph P. <laughs> yeah, he's actually a graduate from Corey. Yeah, and Corey Beach dirty, and Corey Beach. Dirty, yeah, Corey Beach. Good, dirty Corey. Anyway, um, he shower that much. They, they, they're, they're very, <laughs> they're very recovery friendly, right? <laughs> and so when I told them that I was getting into tribe and I was not going to be able to do anything for two weeks because we have a stabilization period, he, he was like, "No, absolutely, go, go do that." And then you got a job when you come back. You're ready to go. Awesome. So I'm sitting there now. I got a job, but I'm, I'm like knowing that they need people, and I'm seeing a bunch of great people around me, like hustling, just like really struggling but actually putting in effort right so now i'm like hey we need to hire some of these people from the houses we need to do this so then i start advocating for like hey these guys should come work over here why because everybody over here is in recovery we need to do this we need to get going so now i'm like inadvertently helping tribe out right but while helping myself because that that's my service that's Culture, what i get leadership that's what we created and, yeah. you, and you bought in and you did well and that's exactly. why you're riding with us and that's the right thing and then you know the thing is is tri tribe gave me that platform right like they believed yeah. in me they didn't. They didn't. They didn't shut me down. When I advocated for myself, they they listened and they took what I said into consideration. And I never had that before in my life, right? Like I would always take dictation, but I can never, you know, send it. 
I can never give yeah. it out. And so now that I'm at, I was actually saying things and people were listening and it made sense, like I started seeing that I could build a family and I had a really good fellowship. Not only did I have the people in Stout Street that I was working with, that I mm -hmm. you know, created that fellowship, now I had another fellowship that I was building with all these other fine gentlemen. We dream together, we man. Do, it doesn't, do. But you it had doesn't determination work. too at yeah. that time. Yeah. Like when oh. you call when you called Tomas and you called when you were, you were looking for another home, you were yeah. looking, hey, I don't want to give up. Yeah, no, I wasn't going back to the you street. Yeah, you, you got me messed up. Like I was not gonna give yeah. that up. And so I decided you had to reach that point. You had you had already you know, reached the point the key of doing point it for where you. I saw it with him, the name Fabian Davalas. When you said what sucks about being in jail, Fabian Davalas was one of our original tribe members. Okay. He was not an opiate addict. He was not. And he found some fentanyl inside of Arapahoe County. Yeah. And he never made it out of that cell. Yeah. He was like a little brother, a son to me. And that was probably the hardest I cried besides Matt and Bam and a couple others. But you made that choice. It's like, you know, one dies to deliver the next. You know, you made a conscious decision to, mm -hmm. to do the right thing and to yeah. buy in. That's recovery. And what I love about your story is the buying in. Mm -hmm. inspiration not giving up yeah swallowing your pride knocking on your brother's door getting on that phone i remember when i got kicked out of stout street my my, my dad was like you got to get out of here because your mom's gonna kill you yeah you know what i mean and my mom was gonna actually give me a room I, I in the good room i wouldn't take a bed i slept on the couch until i figured out where i was gonna go next yeah you know i wouldn't hey. take a bed i had to go to a, a program and that's what I was doing. I told my brother when I knocked on the door, I said, look, I just need a week or two. I'm going to get into Tribe, which I didn't even call Tribe yet, but I had this plan. Uh -huh. you know, and I, but I was manipulating. But this was positive application at yeah, the time, yeah. not manipulation. Let's right? call it manifesting. Yeah, and so, exactly. Speaking it into fruition, right? So I told him. Because I, was I don't like, even feel like you were manipulating that Weld County when you said, I manipulated Weld County yeah. to get me into Stout Street. I don't feel like you did that. They're not that dumb. They're not that dumb. They, 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 saw, yeah, they, they saw a guy who was like, all right, I'm really serious about this Stout Street, yeah. which is why they were willing to work with you you call it manipulation they're not stupid yeah you're right you're no you're right advocation you're, you're a good spokesperson <laughs> for yourself yeah. and somebody listened and said i believe in what you're saying yeah that's what it was you can call it manipulation yeah. like i said yeah. judge court ain't stupid <laughs> yeah and you know like i'm real hard on my outreach people so nani kept on dropping your name it's like who wants to be in my outreach team man come on <laughs> come on man because yeah. I've, I've had people yes. make excuses like one lady was like Clocking the thing, taking care of her kid at the house. Yeah. And I was paying her for it, you know what I mean? To be promoting, I was like, who's this guy? And then I heard one, two. And then Nani was like, please, just go talk to Melissa. And I went to talk to Melissa, and she's the hardest crowd on earth. Yeah. And she goes, I love him. I hired him yesterday. I go, well, too late. <laughs> all right, cool. You know yeah. what I mean? And what, what's great about you just all passion, man. Like, what I hear in your story is is – you didn't understand your passion and in love, and it killed you when you were a kid. So yeah. you tried to numb it. Yeah. And you refound it in recovery, mm -hmm. and you found some intent in how to work with it. Yes. When you lose it, you learn how to keep it. And that's the thing is, you know, what, what we, we learn in recovery is about. My recovery is my superpower. Anything can happen. Yeah. You know, in the last few weeks, a lot of stuff have happened. You know what I mean? And I'm just going to say, you know, I'm so glad I just came from. My son was injured very bad. He was shot in the face last yeah. week. And today I get to be a father and stand by his side. Yeah. Instead of throwing dope at it. 
mm-hmm. and making my life, my wife and my and my kids and my and my mother in law and, and the rest of the family's life a living hell around it because that's what we do when we feel that passion yeah. and it gets jaded and it doesn't feel good anymore. Right. Yep. You know what I mean? Let me throw some alcohol at it. Let mm-hmm. me throw some dope because yep. it's all about me, 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 me. Yep. I, 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 I. It's never about you. It's never about the situation. It's never about anything healthy. But when you get into recovery, and what I love about your story is you figured out how to take that passion, mm-hmm. that intent, that love, that respect for yourself, mm-hmm. and build around it. You know, we can't, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and and everybody listening, you know, you don't get things back all overnight. So we ain't going to lie to you. No, you know, no I, you don't. I ain't seen my kid since <laughs> he was two years old. He probably still thinks some very bad things about his old man and I can't blame him for it. You know what I mean? Well, but you know, the kids that I do have love me and I'm lucky to have them. Yes. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, we lose parents. We lose, we lose the things that, that are the most to us. You know, uh, you know how the streets of Denver are right now. It's violent. It's violent, man. Everybody's getting shot. You know, I've, I've probably been, on the phone with more homicide cases in the last 90 days. <sighs> yeah. I'm like, man, what's happened? Yeah. You know, talking to a parent about the, the kid dead or, or talking to a, a person, a shooter, like, man, like I was talking to a shooter the other day. It was like, what do I do? I'm like, turn yourself in, man. Don't hurt nobody else. Right. Turn yourself in. Mm-hmm. Turn yourself in. Yeah. You know, and it's always used around, usually around mental health in drugs it's i mean sober people don't go out and kill people yeah mm-hmm. very often no not very often you know what i mean it's all about that passion and intent and it's all about that heartbreak and, and not us knowing how to self-regulate ourselves and yes. and how to how to be okay with loss and how to be okay with not having love and how to be okay with people walking away from us and and not agreeing with us and doing all these mm-hmm. different things and you know <clears throat> at the end of the day what i love about recovery and mental health is you get to slow down pause and learn that mm-hmm. for yourself and your own definition right yes Absolutely. And I'm proud to have you with us, man. I mean, yeah. like, you and Nani as a one-two punch now? <laughs> Whoa. Because Nani talks so much. She's the telepathy yeah. outreach yeah. coordinator. Yeah. Yeah. She just Talk. looks at somebody and you know the whole paragraph. You know everything. Right. Just with one look. So, but, That's all but, I'm here for. Yeah. Before, before we end, <laughs> before we shut this down, I yeah. do want to tell everybody out there that it's possible, man, because, like, I haven't had my license in 20 years, and Tribe gave me the opportunity being in this recovery, having fellowship, and living recovery, I've gotten my license back. Hell yeah. I have a car. Yeah. I'm signed a lease. For, oh, I have man. my own place to Come live. Come on. And I'm working two jobs, but it's going to be one job because I'm devoting all my time to but this. But you got one. the energy to work yes. two jobs. I do, but I don't want to lose the energy, so I'm trying to find out. You don't want to break it's yourself. It's all about yeah. balance. Yeah, yeah you don't want to bring yourself out. And not only that, but, but Saturday four night. Ago, four years ago, you weren't yeah. able to do two jobs. Yeah, that's true. That's all. I'm I couldn't do one job. That's all, that's all, that's all I'm saying. That's all <laughs> okay. I mean. So, but also at the same time, just so you guys, anybody listening out there wants to know that it is always possible too, because on Saturday, 17 years later, I got to meet my daughter. Yeah, man. The daughter that got taken away that from me when crazy. I was younger. And her name is Araya Alexia Anderson. She doesn't have my last name anymore, but that's all right. And I want to send a shout out to the man that stepped up and took care of her when I couldn't. Seriously, that was huge. And I'm so thankful yes. for it. Right there. If you I'm can so zoom thankful. in on that. Zoom in on that right there. Yeah. <laughs> if you can do that. Look that's at that, awesome. man. That's amazing right yeah. there. That's so awesome. Yeah, you just, know, that, that, that picture right there speaks volumes. Yeah. Is that you volumes your right there? there. That's me and my daughter right there. I haven't seen beautiful. her in 17 years. Awesome. I, I even said it on the picture. I said I That's waited 17 picture. years for this beautiful picture. Man, yeah. right there on the air, right there. Look at that. <laughs> oh, um, 
So yeah. I hate to say this, but our time is just oh. flown by, Mile High. Yeah, my bad. No, 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 <laughs> you're your bad, man. It has been such an honor to have you as a guest. Uh, and I wish we had another 30 minutes for you because um, <laughs> yeah. it's, been, it's been great to listen to you speaking. You, and I really appreciate like you. And I appreciate your strength because one thing I caught there is every time you had a, a, a bump in the road in your life, you said, oh, I just went in harder. I just went further into drugs. You had a bump in the road when you left Stout Street there in the end. You went to your brother's house. Mm -hmm. That was your chance to once again go, bump in the road. That's it. I'm done. Yeah. And that's, that's when you were no longer that person. Yeah. You know, and, and that the person I see now is that guy. Yes. The guy who's determined to continue on his path. And thank you for the work you're doing with everybody at Tribe. Yeah, no and I know what we can do, because I know you have a lot of stuff for Baby Bash. Let's find out if we can find him in some Z Cavarici. Freaking. <laughs> for real. You know, the, the, the MC Hammer pants. Oh, wow. Well, you, you know you might got a picture in your archives there, Slim. We'll find that something we can, to embarrass you, right? I'm not sure there. exactly what he said. With the blonde streak, his yeah. hair going on the side, a little chocolate okay. blonde yeah. streak. Uh-oh. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Mahai, our guest today has been Dustin Chavez from Fort Lupton. Uh, if you have missed any of this program and you want to check it out in its entirety, please check it out on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash SOS, sharing our stories. We also have a YouTube page where you can like and subscribe and check out this program. We record it every Wednesday, so if you want to catch it live on Facebook or YouTube, Wednesday evenings, you can do that. Of course, we're here on your radio every Sunday morning. This is Sharing Our Story. Special thanks to Caring for Denver. Uh, they are an organization here in, in the Mile High that helps our recovery community stay connected to better assist our Denver community. So thank you to, to Caring for Denver for their sponsorship of this program. Also, Tribe Recovery Homes. Go to triberecoveryhomes.com or give them a call at 720-60-TRIBE. You can reach anybody here at this table at Tribe Recovery Home. And uh, Mahai, we'll see you again right here for sharing our stories. <laughs>